0: Our prayer is that you are encouraged by the message you hear today and fall more in love with Jesus and others. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everyone. You know, I liked it
1: when this table was shorter. This is like really tall. But um, anyway, uh, welcome and good morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Mark Merriman, and I am one of the elders here at Impact Church. And... um, Today we are going to be uh, uh, reading another psalm and talking about it, uh, but I like to manage expectations. You know, you guys don't hear from me too often. I'm usually a background kind of guy. Do I need to move? I'm not coming in through these, All right. So, let me just uh, try and manage some expectations early on. Even though I've been called as an elder, I do not consider myself a biblical scholar I do not, I haven't been to seminary, I am not a serious theologian, the only Hebrew that I know are the hot dogs that you can get from Costco, the only Greek that I know is yogurt, so just sort of trying to to set a low bar just so that you're not expecting that much out of me, okay, so um, with that as an introduction, uh, let's uh, get on with this. I love the Psalms I love them for a couple of reasons one is when I was growing and maturing as a Christian we always want to get into the word we want to try and learn more and we learn by reading the Bible and I had so many false starts in trying to get started in reading the Bible you know, you'd start reading, oh, I'm just going to work my way through it. You know, Genesis is great. Exodus is great. And then you hit Leviticus and you're like, oh, man. You know, and it's hard. You know, you start reading through even the Gospels. And it's like, you know, Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. And it's like, wait, have I already read this chapter? There's just so much repetition that it kind of throws you off. But what I found for me that worked was well, somebody said, you got to go through the Psalms. And here's what you do. You read five Psalms every day. Read one chapter from Proverbs, and you read one chapter out of the New Testament. So it's the first of the month, you read Psalms 1 through 5. Second of the month, 6 through 10, and you work your way through. And for me, it worked. It helped me to build the discipline that I needed in order to do that. So if you're stuck trying to figure out a way To read the Bible on a regular basis, highly recommend it. Five psalms, one proverb, one chapter from the New Testament. It's life-changing. The other thing that I love about the psalms is just that they're beautiful. They're vibrant. They're these great poems, these great passages, and they cover the entire breadth of human experience, right? Right? We talk about awe and worship of God. We talk about how we're angry and we're mad with God. You know, we have sorrow and joy. The Psalms touch on all of these things. And so as we read and reflect on them, we're able to see ourselves. Oh, I can—I understand why you felt that way, David, because I felt that way too. I understand why you felt that way, Psalmist, because I've had that day too. You know, and it's just great because it carries us through every stage of our lives and it gives us a place to aspire to did i mention we're reading we're in psalms so if you would if you have your bible go ahead and let's turn to the book of psalms if you don't have a bible with you passages are going to be up on the screens but we also encourage you to uh still you want to read it we use um, a bunch of different apps the bible apps are available we recommend you version y-o-u version but you just pick the one that works for you. We're gonna be reading out of the English Standard version of the ESV. Uh, and again, just to sort of let you know how today is supposed to work out, I'm gonna read the psalm in its entirety. Then we'll kind of pick it apart and we'll talk about it verse by verse and then we'll try and find some applications. And then I'm out of here and you can go to lunch. One of the nice things about starting at 10 is hopefully we're done and we'll beat the lunch crowd, right? That's the plan. All right uh psalm 101 101 is where we're going to be i'll give you just a minute to uh, find it if you're there say i'm there there. i'm there i heard a couple so that's good we're going to (laughs) start psalm 101 a psalm of david i will sing of steadfast love and justice to you O lord i will make music I will ponder the way that is blameless. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. I will look with favor on the faithful in the land that they may dwell with me. He who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. No one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. Morning by morning, I will destroy all the wicked in the land cutting off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. Word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just uh, pray that you would just um, bless this time, Father, as we read and study your word. I pray, Lord, that we would just uh, uh, continue to find truth because you are perfect, God. and Your word is perfect. Your ways are perfect. And so we just want to uh, aspire to you, Lord. So we just thank you for this time. We pray your blessings in Jesus' name. You know, the first couple of times I read this, it didn't sound quite as tense as it did there. That's, this is a terse one. So, but that's okay. It's going to be all right. Like I said, I'm not really a theologian, but there are a few things that I picked up on. One is that the 101st Psalm is one of David's priest or princely psalms. It's from a time uh, from his reign as a king of Israel. And it serves as a declaration of how he will live his life how he's going to rule Israel, and then serve as a model of how we can live also. Verse 1 starts with praise to God, right? I will sing of steadfast love and justice to you, O Lord. I will make music. He's talking here about God's characteristics, he recognizes that God's never-ending and constant love and justice are something to think about, to ponder on, to to aspire to. And then in verse 2, he even says it, I will ponder the way that is blameless. David's relationship with God is not just ceremonial or based on his reputation as the apple of God's eye. But it comes from reflecting and thinking about what it means to have the characteristics of God, what it means to be blameless or perfect. It's not anything that we can do on our own. It's only obtained by abiding with God. Oh, that's a theme. I think I heard that last week. Yeah. Living daily, reading the scriptures, meditating on them to determine what God is saying, how we can apply it to our lives. This is what David is talking about, is that it's not just what he's done before, but it is an action verb. I will ponder. This is an ongoing thing that he does constantly, and he's going to continue to do it. And he says, oh, when will you come to me? Not in a statement of frustration so much as it is one of longing and anticipation, right? He's publicly confessing that this life is not going to be easy. David did not have a super easy life, even though he was the king. His family life was horrible. Just Read about it. But what he is publicly confessing uh, this life is not easy, the answers do not always reveal themselves right away but he is relying on God to be at the center of his life at the heart of his government at the center of his family now, let's talk more about his, his house what else did he say? I think it's in uh, verse 4 is that where we are? nope second part of verse two my mistake i will walk with integrity of heart within my house i will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless i hate the work of those who fall away it shall not cling to me so i will walk with integrity of heart so what is integrity it's a word we hear a lot right we talk about people who have integrity oh he's a man of integrity yeah, it's one that we uh, hear often, but we may not necessarily know what it means. It's more of context clues is how we got to figure it out. So I cheated. I actually went to the dictionary, and I looked it up, and I'm going to share it. So integrity is a noun. It means steadfast adherence to a strict moral or ethical code, the state of being unimpaired, soundness, three, the quality or condition of being whole or undivided, completeness. So I will walk with steadfast adherence to a strict moral code, integrity of my heart, the center of my soul, the center of my being within my house. David's telling us that how he lives his life in private with his family is also at the same time he's going to live his life in public before others. And he also goes on to say that he will guard his eyes, right? I will not set anything uh, set before my eyes anything that is worthless. What we can take from this is just understanding kind of how we work and how our nature works. A hundred years ago, Robin and I used to have a little sign that said underneath our TV on our cable boxes. Anybody remember a cable box? And and it had that passage on it, that I will set no evil thing before my eyes, and it was a reminder to us to be mindful of what we were watching on TV. It was a reminder to us to be mindful of what we expose ourselves to, because those things then enter our heart. They enter our being. David recognized that What we take in with our eyes affects what we perceive in our minds and our hearts. By controlling what we expose ourselves to, uh, it determines if we will create an atmosphere that promotes godliness or sinfulness. If I'm putting godly things before me, I will be more godly. If I live for sinful things, guess what? He goes on to say he does not want to be a part of those who promote evil over godliness. He'll have nothing to do with these people in his home or his court. Now, does that mean that we should be very exclusive in the people that we associate with? That would really kind of defeat the purpose of the prayer and go time, right? Isn't that what we were talking about? The people that we meet in the marketplace, we have no control over those people, the people that we meet in our work, we have no control over those people. And the, and how we interact with them, though, we have plenty of control over. And so, but what he's saying, though, is that we're not going to uh, af- associate with these people in a way that's going to help bring us down. Verse 4 and 5, he kind of elaborates on the same theme of avoiding sin, having nothing to do with those who practice unethical or ungodly traits. And so David has made it pretty clear that he's not going to tolerate in others any of these kinds of evil types of behavior. These things that are going to bring his government down, that are going to bring him down, that are going to allow evil to come into his family. In verse 6, though, he tells us something that he will do. Ah, finally, he flips it around. He says, I will look with favor on the faithful in the land that they may dwell with me. He who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. Now, in this passage, the context of the word faithful isn't just those who are pious or who share David's religious views. But it really talks to those who are trustworthy and worthy of confidence. There are people that you work with. There are people who are in your schools. There are people that are your neighbors that are lost. And in the end, unless they have faith in Jesus, they're going to spend eternity in hell. But they're nice people. And they still try to do the right thing. The right thing won't get you into heaven, but it still makes you a pretty good neighbor. And so what he's saying is, these people who share this in common with me, I will elevate them. I will allow them to be in my court. They will serve. So we may not see completely eye to eye, but we see eye to eye well enough to know that I can entrust them in a role to the government. Or I can entrust them with my family. So what he's saying is he's not going to tolerate wickedness it's hard to say wickedness i will have nothing to do uh, with it in his court or his house he will honor and be favorable towards those who also strive to live the same way it's not promoting discrimination based on a religious test but it says you conduct your affairs with people who are trustworthy and honorable verse 7 David flips it around again he emphasizes the importance of integrity and how lying and deceit will have no place in his home or kingdom no one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house no one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes now this is something that was really beat into me really all my life that was because that's the way my parents did but as a police officer Robin backed me up We had a very simple integrity policy on the police department. For those of you who don't know, I was a police officer for almost 30 years. So that was my first calling. I was a minister for your good. It's in Romans, so it's got to be scriptural, right? Um, But our integrity policy was real simple. Because what it said was, people are people. Even cops are human beings. And we're gonna make mistakes you're gonna make mistakes and as an agency when you make a mistake we will work with you to try and get you out of you know into a better place we will work to make things right we will stand with you but if you ever lie the doors that way plain and simple You can do a lot of things, but just don't lie about it. See, because when you're in a position of trust, when you're working with the government, when you're the king or you're in the king's court and you're responsible for certain things and people are responsible to you, you have to be trustworthy. If you get caught lying it's It's going to be hard for them to trust you again after that. Hard to imagine, right? All you got to do is look at the newspaper. do we do people still read newspapers? No, we don't. It's online. Yeah, I'm sure there's a subreddit somewhere that will tell you what's going on in the world. <coughs> we can't afford. To have people in positions of authority that are untrustworthy. And so what David is saying is, you have no role in my government if you're going to be a liar. Now, can people be restored? Is there grace available to those who violate that trust? Man, I, I don't just hope so. I know so. That's what the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about right it's about restoration it's about bringing healing and so there is a place and a time but building trust takes time and so for people in authority you don't have the luxury of that time but you can still be restored and then once you're restored there'll be a place for you I've seen it countless times you want to meet and have coffee? I'll tell you all kinds of stories. You know, most of them from my life. Verse 8. Morning by morning, I will destroy all the wicked in the land, cutting off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. So what's David saying here? Should we stand at the city gates and behead every evildoer that crosses our paths? I don't like the look of that, though. Right? Yeah. Sheriff of Nottingham sent me this poster. Oh, it looks like this guy. No. That's not what this means. Here in verse 8, David's declaring he will hold court every morning. Morning by morning, I will destroy the wicked in the land, cutting off the evildoers from the city of the Lord. Every day, he will hold court. He will hold criminal court. And he will rule in a way that is aimed at eliminating evil from His community. It's not limited. It's a daily exercise. It's not limited to a frequency or a time that makes it less of a priority. What David is saying here is that this is important, and this is going to be important to me, and so this is what I'm going to do. And the reason that David does this is because David knows that when we allow evil or sin or crime to get a toehold in our lives and in our communities, that it spreads and it becomes even more difficult to control we can see it now in our culture right we can all think of cities that were used to be really cool places and nice places to go and then crime started and then it was just like oh you're going where why on purpose absolutely not it's crazy it's like having a garden right you work really hard you prepare the soil you lay out your furrows you plant your your garden and if you just say oh, okay well things are popping up i'll be ready for harvest you're going to be in a lot of trouble because the weeds continue to come You have to work it all the time in order to keep the weeds out or it's going to overtake your garden and you're going to lose your harvest. And it's the same for our society. It's the same for our culture. It's the same for our lives. If we start dancing around with evil a little bit, we run the risk of it becoming more and more attractive. So the bottom line to this psalm is David is saying he is going to rule over his kingdom and his household in a way that honors God and removes evil. Now, some of you are thinking, yeah, that's interesting, Mark. So what? Some of you are already thinking back to the last time that I preached, and you're going to say, wait a minute, Mark. I remember the last time you preached. You talked about David then too. I think you're stuck. Maybe I am. But you talked about how David had an affair with a married woman and then he killed her husband to cover up his sin. Doesn't that make David a bit of a hypocrite? Why should I care about a man who speaks so highly of such lofty ideals and then does such terrible things? My sins are bad, but compared to that, come on. My response to you is, yeah, at first glance, doesn't look real good, does it? And it's like, why should I bother? But just a reminder, we say it here all the time, that in order to understand the scriptures and what God's trying to tell us, we need three things, right? The first is context. The second is context. And the third thing we need is context. That's right. It's because of this that we study all the scriptures. We don't cherry pick a verse out. We look at what's before it or after it. or sometimes it's the chapter before or after it. Sometimes we have to find it somewhere else in the scriptures that helps put this into context. But we need context. And based on first look, yeah, David, bad idea. Like I said before, I'm not a biblical scholar. I am not a theologian. I am not, you know, trained at the seminary. I like to take my Bible. I like to read it. I like to reflect on the words and think about it. Ooh, I ponder them. I heard that before today, too. I'll ask the Holy Spirit to guide me, give me insight. God, what are you trying to say here? What were you trying to say in the original people that this was aimed at? And what can I take from it now? I use commentaries to help me understand. Or I'll ask other believers who are smarter than I am. And there's a lot of them, like my wife. I go to Robin all the time. But you get the answers because it helps give us context. But I try not to get too lost in the weeds with the details. This is what I do know. I know that if David had written this psalm before he sinned with Bathsheba, then he probably should have been paying more attention to his words and remembered his words, and maybe if he had been pondering that, he would have avoided this completely, right? If we remember our promise, you know, if we remember the vow that we take to our family, to our community, And then it'll help us to avoid these things. But, whether he wrote it before or after, what I can tell you is that this passage, this psalm, demonstrates that David is capable of repenting. That's a Bible word that means turning from our sin, turning from our evil. And he can use that moment that fork in the road to start a new life on a clear path back to abiding with God. One of the key differences between what we see in the life of David and some other historical figures or even contemporary figures who have been hypocrites is this idea of repentance. Now the word hypocrite is of Greek origin and it refers to a person with two faces. It was a common phrase for an actor. Oh wait, (gasps) I'm a Greek scholar. Gavin, you may have to edit the beginning of the podcast to cut out that whole introduction part because apparently I know more about Greek than just yogurt. So I'm kind of flouting myself now. The hypocrite knows that what he's doing is wrong, yet he continues to do it. That's why Jesus referred to the Pharisees as hypocrites. They knew the law. They had read the prophets. And yet they continued to live a life that was not God-honoring. David recognized his sin, pleaded with God to forgive him, and turned from it. If you don't believe me, read it and hear it in his own words. Psalm 51. I didn't put this on the slides, so stop looking for it, Hunter. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. So David understood what he had done was wrong that he had sinned and that he needed help and he could only get that help from god and so he repented david only had the law and the prophets to guide him what about us now in 2023 we had the entire work of scripture it's completed it's whole it's perfect so we have not only the old testament prophets but we have the redemptive work of jesus christ Who fulfilled all of the Old Testament prophecy concerning the Messiah he was born of a virgin lived a perfect life served as the perfect and final sacrifice for our sins for my sins before rising from the dead after three days and he now sits where at the right hand of the Father and we don't just have the work of Jesus When he left, he brought us the Holy Spirit. We've got it all. The Holy Spirit that convicts us of our sins abides with us every single day. Because of this, we have a greater opportunity than David ever did to successfully defeat the sin in our life and live a life of fulfillment and joy. Is it easy? No, it's not left to our own desires, our natural instinct is to return to our sinful state. If we spend time in the scripture, God changes our lives, but if we take time and we just put it on the back burner, those weeds will come back. And it comes back. Is it possible Is it possible to defeat sin? <clears throat> yeah, it is. Romans 12 starting in verse 1. Paul says, "I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies what as a living sacrifice." holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Did you catch that? Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, changed. Like a caterpillar changes into a butterfly, a new creation, and it's available to us by renewing our minds, by thinking differently. And when we think differently, we act differently, and this is what it's about, and it's all an act of faith. How do we renew our minds? We pursue a new life, abiding in God through our son, Jesus Christ things real easy learn how to read your Bible learn how to pray and learn how to disciple others if you haven't heard that here before you're probably going to hear a lot so keep coming back because that's the secret that's the clue it's life-changing it is life transforming And it's possible. Now, some of you are saying, yeah, well, my mind is pretty far gone. It's going to be hard to renew my mind because of the things that I've done, the things that I've said, maybe even the things that I'm going to do as soon as I leave here. I don't think there's any hope for me, but there is. Good news. In Colossians 3, Paul tells us again, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Abiding, right? Our lives are now hidden with Christ in God. So when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked, past tense, when you were living in them, but now... You must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. You mean, I don't have to just be forgiven of my sin, but I can actually get away from it? That there is hope for me to escape it? That I can actually be completely transformed, renewed? Yes. Take your pick of any of those sins. I'm sure that somewhere in there, one of them resonates. You're like me, more than one resonates. But we have a promise. A new life in Christ that gives us the opportunity to rise up and live a life completely transformed and separated from our path. So, was David a hypocrite? No. No. You don't have to be either. It's right here in the scriptures. It's a promise that we can claim. It's a promise that David understood. So as David was setting up his government and saying, hey, these are the things that we're going to do, it wasn't because of David. It was because of God. So what? What does Psalm 101 have to do with me? Three points, and then we're going to call the uh, worship team up. Point number one, God wants to be first in your life. The fact that David begins declaring how he's going to run the affairs of the government and his house... With praising God, is really important. He put it first for a reason. And we need to do the same thing. When we make our relationship with God, the God of the universe, our first priority, the rest of the stuff takes care of itself. I love my wife. I would give up my life for my wife. I love my daughter, Emma. I would give up my life for my daughter, Emma. But I am going to be a terrible husband and a terrible father if I don't put God first in my life. It has to be a priority. That's why David says it first. Second, God is unimpressed with your self-righteousness. As David outlined, the way his government will function, the standard that he sets, the things that he talks about, are based on God's design. They are based on God's character. I will ponder the way you are. I will ascribe your characteristics to my government. Isaiah 64 says, We all have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. There's nothing that we can do that will meet God's standards. So if we're going to set up something that's going to be lasting and permanent and have an impact, then we need to base it on God's design. It needs to be the way we run our households. It needs to be the way we model our church. It needs to be the way we model our government. In our society because without it things are not going to end well Gavin if you, Joe if you guys want to come on up <clears throat> third point is our public life should be a reflection of our private life and vice versa twice David made reference to his house and his declaration of government. That's because there's no double standard in a godly life. When people see me in the workplace, they are seeing a reflection of the person that I want to be when I am home. The husband and father that I present to my family is the same person that others should see when I am out in public. If you meet up with a coworker, at a restaurant and you're there with your family and your co-workers are saying all these really really nice things about you and it comes as a surprise to your spouse you probably need to consider that as an issue really? Mark does that? He never does that at home so the challenge for us is how will we live our lives. Will we begin our day reflecting on the character of God and pondering His ways that we might be a reflection of Him, or will we ignore Him and find ourselves lost and struggling to deal with a world that glorifies self over sacrifice? Psalm 101 shows us a model that David tried to follow in Jesus'.
0: Hi, Pastor Brandon here. Thanks again for listening to our Impact Church sermon podcast. If God has spoken to you today or you have a prayer request you'd like to share, please email us at hello at impactfxbg.church. If you're local to the Fredericksburg area, we would love to see you for worship in person. But if not, please let us know if we can help you find a gospel-centered church right where you're at. Feel free to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram and on our website, www.impactfxbg.church. Until next time, keep living the dream.